0: a vasty hardies <laughs> are it's time for my it's time for my annual humiliation your life it? yeah my life you know but for those of you that haven't experienced this before every year it seems for some reason i am selected to yeah. set the theme for vbs and you wonder why mike disappears this time of year Anyway, we are going to be having a great week, and it's going to be VBS, they're going to be exploring God's Word, and some of the themes that you see right there, God's Word is for everyone, God's Word is life-changing, God's Word is truth, and they're going to have pirates, and swashbuckling, and sword fights, and they're going to be exploring for God's Word, which is the ultimate treasure, and that's what it, the whole theme is going to be, they're even, I guess, going to have some characters from Gilligan's Island, which I don't understand how it meshes with pirates, but that's what it is. I invite you to be here, I, and if you can't be here, to support them in your prayers, and of course, uh, in your affirmations with all of the volunteers that are doing this hard work. So, having said that, this is where it gets tough, where I make the transition over to something serious, right? Okay, yeah, thanks. Here we go. Did I mess it up? You know, Vern, I'm going to keep this. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, for those of you that don't know, oh, where'd my mic go? My hairpiece, Ed? Is that what you said? It is. It's tough. First service was so quiet. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I enjoy the ones that haven't woken up yet. For those of you that don't know, my name is Brett Holloman, and I am the pastor of Care and Shepherding here at Cypress Church. And um, I've been fortunate enough, as I said, in the past few years to set the trend, or at least the, the attire, for VBS, and it's always fun. But uh, we're shifting, in, shifting gears right now to something a little bit more serious, a little bit more... Uh, applicable to what we're trying to do from a day-to-day basis in terms of our Christian walk and our Christian testimony. And I invite you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We're going to be talking about being available. Being available. You know, we've been talking a lot over the last few weeks, uh, and particularly Mike and the rest of the staff, about our unique call. What is our unique call, both as a church and as individuals? Because the unique call really helps define where we're going to be going in our efforts to honor God. And I believe that that the unique call can probably be centered on one word in its essence. And that one word is availability. And we're going to see today in Acts chapter 8 when we explore some of the things that Philip did, what availability means, how we define it, how we go about exemplifying it, and what the results typically are. You see, our availability really shows itself in two different areas. Number one, our availability to God allows him to operate through us and allows him to show great things to people about the love of Christ through how we behave and how we reach out. But the other portion of availability is the fact that we have to be available to others. All right, not God is, we're available to God, but we're also available to others. And that's where we start talking about our unique call. A couple of things that I just want to, uh, a little, little bit of a, of a disclaimer here, if I may. I'm going to be using a lot of personal examples, but not because I have this thing wired, because I don't. I'm learning just like the rest of you. But as I've attempted to apply some of the principles that we've been talking about over the course of the last several weeks, I've encountered personal challenges and personal uh, uh, examples that may be appropriate they, that I can share with you that will help you understand that I'm in the boat with you. I don't sit up here and, and speak from any sense of knowing this, you know, in, in an ultimate, from an ultimate standpoint. But it's really centered... The availability is really centered on this, and this is where it comes in. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest ends of the earth. We've all heard that. We understand it. But one of the things that's really scary about this is that we tend to believe that we have to be evangelists in order to accomplish that goal. To a certain degree, some of us are called to do that. But many of us are so afraid to say anything because as Christians we look at evangelists and we think, well, wait a minute, you know, it means that we have to stand in front of a group of people, we have to to speak the word with power, and we have to speak it effectively and we have to have known results. And that's scary because most of us don't even want to mention or raise our voices in our small groups because it can be very Intimidating. So the word evangelist from a Christian standpoint has certain connotations which are a little difficult. But from a, from a world standpoint, evangelism and evangelist has taken on a whole different context. Not always flattering. Take a look at this video that I showed a couple of years ago, but is, is really relevant today as well. The fear is bigger than money or real estate. There's only one thing bigger than the fear, my friends. Only one thing. And that one thing... of faith faith that the universe will need his skills faith that this woman loves what's in his soul not what's on his head faith that his children will be protected not by a man with a 357 magnum but by the man with the 12 gauge supercharged grenade launcher (laughs) of life and that man, brothers and sisters, that one man is one man, and one man only, that man is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if you want to feel happy, all you got to do, if you want to feel loved, all you got to do, if you want to feel safe, if you want to feel strong, if you want to walk tall, all you got to do, all you got to do, all you got to do is get saved. You'll not be seeing that this morning. Number 1, I'm just not that limber anymore. But that's that's what the world thinks when they think of evangelism, right? But the fact of the matter is is that Philip was a powerful, powerful man in in the the actions of God. And we're going to see that. But it, it wasn't because he was supernatural. It wasn't that he possessed these unbelievable powers. It was because, I believe, that he applied certain principles that we're going to talk about this morning that you can apply. And you can have results that will glorify God. And the first one that I want to mention and I kind of got uh, told I did this wrong in first service because I didn't go right to the bulletin in the points. The first one I want to mention, though, is commitment. Commitment is in that first blank. Would you agree with me that nothing exceptional, nothing spectacular can happen unless there's a high, high level of commitment, right? We can do things, and we can do spectacularly mediocre things because our level of commitment is, lo- is low, Um, But if we really want to truly do spectacular things for God, it's going to require a high level of commitment. Let me use an example for you. I don't follow sports all that much. Um, But when it gets to the finals, I tend to tune in. And as I mentioned earlier in first service, and Justin and I have a running joke, I will select whichever team is winning as my home team. I mean, right up to the finals. I'm going for the team that's winning, and when they win, I never lose. But the Lakers were playing the Boston Celtics here a few weeks back, and they were interviewing Kobe Bryant. Think of him what you will. Kobe's an excellent basketball player. And he has a very, very high level of commitment. And and the interviewers were asking him during that series, tell me about your commitment to the game. And this is what he said. He goes. I love the game of basketball. And I love it to the degree that I can name all of the former players. I can tell you all of the winning moves, all of the spectacular plays that won games in the last second. He goes, I know the game inside and out because I've watched it from the past to the present. And oh, by the way, he's the last one on the court during practice when everybody else has gone to the locker room. That's commitment. And that's commitment that has shown itself to be unbelievably Powerful and successful in his field, in his, in his uh, realm of basketball. To the point to when I go to Los Angeles, uh, I also work in another church in L.A. You know, he's the idol of all the kids in, in South Central L.A. They love him. And even to the point to where I've gone to Odessa in the Ukraine on the Black Sea. And I've seen Kobe Bryant jerseys, the old number eight with kids that don't know anything else, but they know Kobe Bryant. And the fact of it is that his level of commitment to that ball game has allowed him to be unbelievably successful. And we're gonna see that level of commitment in Philip's behavior as well. There's no lukewarm commitment on the part of Philip to Acts chapter one, verse number eight. But he lived in very, very interesting times. Probably times that were even more difficult than what we're experiencing right now. Because take a look. I want you to look at verse number four of chapter eight. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching over him. Or pardon me, went about preaching the word. You see, it was a little, (laughs) the church was being persecuted tremendously in that time. And the church was being scattered, much, and the analogy may not be appealing to everybody, but you hit an anthill with a stick, man, and everybody runs everywhere, right? And, and so the, the believers, under the persecution of the church, were leaving Jerusalem and going to various places and beginning to preach the word. It's part of God's plan, actually, to spread the gospel. And Philip, remarkably, goes to a region known as Samaria, Now you'll recognize Samaria because in John chapter 4, that's where Jesus went, right? He traveled to Samaria and he sat down at a well and had an exchange with a Samaritan woman, right? And the woman was kind of taken back because she couldn't figure out why a Jew was talking to her because there was no love lost between the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, his own disciples come up and begin questioning him, why are you doing that? So that area, Samaria, would not be an area that you would think would be readily receptive to the word of God. And yet Philip goes there and you may think, well, he probably went there and maybe he didn't get quite the results that he would expect. But read down a little bit further, verses 6 through 8. And it says there, And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in that city. You see, Philip went to an area that you wouldn't necessarily expect someone would go to preach the word of God. But it was an area that was different. It was an area that was challenging. It was an area that was outside his comfort zone. Let me use a personal example, if I may. You'll notice that I kind of headed this sermon, Metro Line Mission Field. I have a number of clients in downtown Los Angeles, and it would be very easy for me, as I was explaining and talking with Pastor Mike about, that I could get in my car, particularly on a hot day like we had a couple of weeks ago, and and turn on my air conditioning and put in my my Christian music CD or, or listen to the message on Sirius Radio and just pray my way to L.A. I could do that. And you know what? It's okay. It's good. But God has challenged me in a different area. God has asked me to ride the blue line. Have you ever done that? So I get on the blue line at Willow and Long Beach Boulevard for the specific reason of understanding something different than what I'm used to. And my clients are up in downtown L.A. and I'll ride the blue line from Willow up to 7th and Fig and I'll get off and I'll walk and visit my appointments. I even have some clients up in Hollywood and Highland and I'll take the red line and get off at Highland. But this is my opportunity to encounter a different world, if you will. And I'll sit there in my suit. I'm the only guy in the suit, trust me. And I'll have my laptop and I'll be working, but I'll watch. And it's so amazing the level of desperation and hurt and pain and need for Jesus Christ in the faces and hearts of those people. They sit there with their lunches on their lap. They're going to work. They don't really have an understanding of what this day means, as opposed to the next. Uh, I was standing or I was sitting there one time, and there was a young mother. And she was on her cell phone, and her daughter, who was probably close to two years old, was sitting in front of her in a stroller, and the young daughter was holding her hands up going, Mama, Mama, Mama. And the mom finally had it and put down the cell phone and said, shut up, shut up, shut up, and stop calling me. And my heart went out, not just to the child, but to the mom. And I immediately began to pray for the mom, and and everything in me kept me in the seat because I wanted to get up. And talk with her, but you get arrested for doing that anymore. So I prayed for this young mother. And then a couple of weeks ago, there was, a, there was a guy and he had flyers in his hand. And he's walking up and down the aisle of the train and he's saying, I've got jobs. I've got hourly jobs, hourly jobs. Anybody need a job? I almost took one. And there were two young guys there and they were dressed in what appeared to be gang attire. And, and, and he walked by, he goes, I got an hourly job. And they say, no, no, no. We got jobs. We're street pharmacists. And I'm from Orange County, folks. And I thought, that's cool. They, they don't look like doctors, but huh. that's pretty cool. And I, and I grab my satchel when I get off at Willow and I start walking to the car and all of a sudden they go, Gah! they're drug dealers. You know, but maybe, maybe that's why God said, break get on the blue line not for the drugs, but just so that I would understand, so that I would understand a different culture. And one final story from the blue line. I was actually up in Hollywood, on Hollywood and Highland, right outside the Pantages Theater, and I'm getting ready to go down the tunnel into the red line, and I hear Pastor Brett. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's never good when you're up in Hollywood and you hear Pastor Brett. And I turn around, and it's a guy by the name of Terry, and he's uh, a homeless gentleman, and he goes to church periodically up at Faith in Christ Ministries on Vernon or up on Western. He goes, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm working. What are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm taking care of some financial matters. And he goes, you going on the red line? I said, yeah. He goes, come with me. And we walk down the tunnel and we get on the red line. in the very last car of the train, there's a community of homeless people. And they're all sitting on the floor, and they're all sitting on their seat. And and Terry goes along, and he introduces me to all the people in his community that do nothing but ride the train. And I get to share with them and talk with them and say, hey, listen, you know. uh, And they go, man, you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a salesman, but I'm a pastor too. And they go, we want to come. So they came to the church in L.A. They were on the corner of Vernon and Western and they get on the cell phone going, where where are we at? We just got off the bus. I said, well, a half mile south, come on. And they come down and they were there in the church worshiping. I don't know if that's what God had in mind when he wanted to put me on the blue line. But I can tell you it was a new opportunity to love somebody that was different than me. A new opportunity to share Christ. A new opportunity to stretch myself, to stretch my commitment a new opportunity to, to see something working in a remarkable way. So we have this thing where, where um, Philip goes to Samaria. But his commitment brought about availability. His commitment, that second little blank space, is, that A is availability. Next time I'll have slides up. I was told that's the way you really do it. But it brings up Availability. To the movement of God and that's where the results come into play look at chapter 8 verses 6 through 8 and there was much re- and the multitudes as we already mentioned were in one accord and there was much rejoicing in the city but that availability that Philip had also translated into the second one which was awareness so we go from commitment to availability to awareness because now Philip is aware of his situation. He's aware of what he's in the middle of and he has an opportunity to act. I love the way Jesus phrases things. And he talks in that same chapter four of, of John. He's talking to his disciples and he says this. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are white with harvest. His disciples weren't the most perceptive people in the world. But what the point was, with their availability, there is an enhanced awareness of of where they are. And Jesus says, lift up your eyes. And look, you're in the middle of a field that's white with harvest. Don't tell me that there's no opportunities here. You have to be ready. You have to be willing to share. Your awareness has to be keen of where you're at and what the opportunities present themselves. Because after awareness comes opportunity. After availability and awareness, that O is opportunity. Philip sees the opportunities that his awareness brought to him. And folks, we can too. That's part of the challenge. Is what we're doing this morning is wonderful and it's great and it glorifies God. But it's not the extent of our experience. It's not the extent of our experience. Because when we challenge ourselves, as weak as my commitment is at times, if I put myself into a situation, God will provide the opportunity just as he did with Philip in Samaria. And the results could be astounding. Or, instead of whole groups of people getting saved and, and a tremendous movement of God, it could involve one man, as we're about to see now. The second thing after commitment is communication. If we have that availability, if we have that awareness, and God gives us the opportunities, he's going to communicate with us. And through the touch of his spirit, he begins to communicate with Philip. The work in Samaria was going along at a tremendous rate. Things were happening. Wonderful explosions were happening in in terms of of a spiritual nature. So much so that the church in Jerusalem, in, in verse number 14, It says this, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. See, Peter and John are in Jerusalem, but they're hearing that there's something spectacular going on in Samaria, primarily through Philip. So they send Peter and they send John to investigate. And and they they get to Samaria and they're looking around and they're seeing things happen. Things of the spirit. They have to take care of some spiritual housekeeping absolutely and there were baptisms but then at the very end of that it says that Philip or pardon me that Peter and John returned to Jerusalem after they had witnessed and shared what was happening they returned to Jerusalem and oh by the way on the way back to Jerusalem they started preaching in some of the villages in Samaria these are two of the guys by the way in John chapter 4 that were questioned in Jesus about what he was doing there. Now they're preaching themselves. And it would be very easy to believe that Philip would go, all right, my work's done. I'm going to head back to Jerusalem with the boys. But God was not done with him yet because God is communicating constantly with Philip because of his commitment and his availability. Look what happens. In verse number 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. You know, uh, Peter and John leave. Philip now is in a conversation, communication with God again. And he says, you're going to go to Gaza. And, you know, if Philip was me, I'd just said, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Gaza, they're going to Jerusalem. You're sending me to the southernmost point of Israel. Along not just that, but a desert road, a desolate road. What's going on, God? I put in my time. Come on. That would have been me. But scripture says that he arose and went. No indication of hesitation. Let me share a story with you again, one of my personal examples. Several years ago... Uh, a gentleman that, here at church, David Jarski, most of you know Dave, but he has a passion and a heart for missions. He loves missions. And he calls me up and, and he says, Brett, I want you to meet me at Starbucks. Down by Target on And I said, all right. I'm always willing when people ask me out to have a Starbucks or, you know, get myself a cold iced tea. And, and so I'm sitting there, and, and David's not one for pleasantries. And he says... Uh, you need to go to the Ukraine. You know, I don't see it that way, David. Check. Ryan take was, no, no, you need to go. God's told me you need to go. Well, that's fine, David. I'm not. How's that? See, I didn't have one of those Philip moments where I rose and went. I'm just not that spiritual, folks. So I said, No. Thank you, David. Let's go. We left, but the funny thing of it was, is that God wouldn't let me, oh, let me get away with that. You know, God kept saying, "You're going." No, I'm not. You're going. No, I'm not. You're going. No, I'm not. Lord, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. I got two young boys. I got a wife who loves me and doesn't want to be without me for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you're going. No, you're not. Oh, I'm, you're going. No, I'm not. I remember I, I, I run, and I was down on Valley View, and I was running north to Catella, and I'm running. And God says, you're going. I said, okay. Listen, now, here's my deal. Here's my deal. Someone else goes, and I pay their way. Three months later, I'm getting off a train in Odessa in the Ukraine. <laughs> The fact of the matter is, though, folks, is that changed my life. That changed my spiritual DNA. Fundamentally, I was never the same again, in a good way. But the fact of the matter is, is I didn't have that, that nature within me that says I rose and went. Right? And there was a struggle there. But when I did listen to God, when he communicated to me and said, you're going, and I listened and I went, fundamentally, I changed. I was never the same again it's a wonderful thing so whether it's, it's God guiding Moses through the desert or, or whether he's talking to Paul in the vision of the Macedonian man or, or whether he's, he's sending you or me somewhere God communicates when we're available sincerely available and I don't know where it's going to be for you God's taken me several different places has changed me but for you it, it can be a hospice Situation where you minister in a hospice or a, or a hospital room or a hotel ministry or, or to children. I, there's no way I could minister to children. That's not my calling but you have a calling and God wants to communicate with you through your availability. I love that story in 1 Kings chapter 19 you know, verses 12 through 13. Elijah, a powerful prophet of God powerful prophet of God. He has an enormous and wonderful victory over Jezebel, the evil evil leader and queen. And many of her priests die, and she's, she's vengeful. She wants this guy. And Elijah ends up running into the far reaches of the desert. He hides in a cave. God is not done with Elijah either, and he tries to speak with Elijah, but it's not in an earthquake which occurred. It's not in the fire, and it's not in the strong wind. It's in a what? A still, small voice. Right? And he tells Elijah, get up and get going. I'm not done with you yet. Stop hiding. When we're available, when we're committed, God wants to communicate with us. And that's the challenge we all face. So take a look at verse number 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. When we say that that Philip arose and went, we should be excited about that. Because what we're now entering into is not a mass event like Samaria, but we're entering into a one-on-one situation where God so loved one man, the Ethiopian that he's about to meet, that he sent another man through a desolate desert road to find him. And in verse number 29, God's speaking to Philip, and he says, Go up to the chariot. You see, the Ethiopian was sitting in the chariot, and he was reading a section of Isaiah. And the section of Isaiah, he was reading out loud because that was the custom of the day. So Philip's standing there, and he sees the chariot with Ethiopian in it, and the Spirit very clearly says, Go up to the chariot. But the Ethiopian is reading a section of Scripture about Isaiah and the prophecy. And when Philip had run up to him in verse number 30, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? The fact of the matter is, is that Philip did the right thing. He listened to God. The Ethiopians reading the scripture doesn't understand it, is struggling through it. And Philip runs up to the man and says, Do you understand what you're reading? You see, he opens up with a question. I like to talk. And it's very natural for me to walk up to somebody and begin talking. But one of the things that I've learned, um, it's been difficult, but I've learned it, is asking questions shows that I care. Philip asked a question Do you understand what you're reading? Right? And it gives the Ethiopian an an opportunity to say, No, I don't, but I need someone to help me understand it. You see, Jesus also was a great uh, user of questions. A great user of questions. Think about it in in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? You remember that? And his disciples go, well, you know, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're a prophet. Some people say that you're John the Baptist uh, or Jeremiah. It's all good answers. And Jesus refines the question even further. And he, he looks him right in the eye and he says, but who do you say I am? Because it doesn't matter what the world thinks. What matters is what you think about Jesus. That's what matters, and and Jesus refines and hones that question down. He was a wonderful user of questions to get people to understand and bring them to a point of truth. All too often, folks, I want to tell people about Jesus. It's not bad, but it's not the best. I need to show people that I care and that I love them. There's another section of scripture in John chapter 5. Jesus going along and, and he uses a question to a man that's sitting by a pool. And tradition had had it that this pool, when, when the ripples came upon the pool, that an, angel, an angel's wings had touched it and the first one in the pool would be healed. And Jesus walks up to the man and says, you want to be healed? Well, the man had been ill for 38 years. What do you think? Of course he wanted to be healed. But Jesus wanted to bring him to a point of understanding of his need for a savior through appropriate applications of questions. I go down to um, the Seal Beach Pier quite a bit. You know, whether it's on Friday night to get away from the heat and have a nice dinner, or or whether it's Saturday morning, you know, go down there and go surfing. Whatever the case may be. But one Friday in particular a few weeks ago, there was a guy standing on the planter at the head of the pier and he was screaming at the top of his lungs that everybody was a sinner and everybody needed Christ and everybody needed to be saved. And that's true. But his methodology, people were walking by going, oh, no, you know. And I got to admit, I stuck in there. I tried because I wanted to honor his efforts. But the fact of the matter is, folks, it didn't resonate with me I had to walk away you know Philip asked a question we need to be asking questions and Philip uses the questions as an opening in verse number 35 to preach the gospel and Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture he preached Jesus to him the door opened The Ethiopian was going, I don't really understand this. Now, this is a fairly large group. From up here, it's pretty intimidating. But you may be struggling today. And you may not understand Scripture and how it can apply to your life, your problems and your situations. You're waiting for someone to run up to your chariot. You're waiting for someone to come up and ask you a question and see how your your life is and how Scripture can be applied in a meaningful, powerful way. You're waiting. I'm here to tell you this church is filled with people that are waiting to ask the question. And there will be opportunities to do that. We're all hurting. We're all in pain in some way, shape, or form. We're all sitting there in in our own chariot trying to figure out how Scripture applies to our lives. We need a Philip to come up to us and help us explain the glory and the gospel of Christ and how it applies to our life. This church has people just like that. And the key is truly in verse number 37. Now, this section of scripture is not in all translations, but it's in mine, (laughs) so I'll read it. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Now, what he's saying right there is that the uh, Ethiopian is saying, well, what's to stop me from getting baptized, right? And Philip says, well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And look how the Ethiopian responds. He says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, there have been many times that I've gone up to folks and I've talked to them about Christ and and i said, would you like to pray the prayer? And they go, yeah. And we pray the prayer and they confess with their mouth. And then at the end of the prayer, I said, you know what? You did the right thing. But it's very easy to say that and not mean it. And you may be just saying it to get me away from you. It's been known to happen, believe it or not. Right? But the real key is do you believe in your heart? Is it a life-changing experience? That goes hand in hand with confessing in your mouth or with your mouth. And that's what the the Ethiopian did. He says, man, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's quite simply a question, folks, of where we put our faith. It boils down to that. Many people put their faith in their possessions and, and, and you know, if I could just get that house, if I could just get that next step in my promotion, if I could just get that additional money, or even in this economy, if I could just keep my job, I'll be happy. And I'll be on fire for the Lord. Right? Many people just say, if I get those things, I'll be fine. Or or if I could just get that relationship. That's what I want. That, that someone who can who can complete me, who can meet my needs. Man, that my life would be complete maybe it's recognition i need someone who can can applaud my efforts and understand how great i really am and when i get that recognition man life will be complete and things will work i just know it and those things happen sometimes many times they don't and we're just as empty as we were before we've all been on that on that treadmill Real real happiness and real satisfaction and real joy and real contentment comes from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it it comes from a fact that we have to admit that we're sinners. Not a popular concept in this world today. Because everybody is okay. And if you go and tell people they're sinners, they go, (laughs) I'm all right. what are you talking about? But we are. And the things we've done and the the sins we've inherited from our forefathers, we cannot get out of them through any effort of our own. We can't. People have tried and people have failed. The only way that we can, can possibly come to a saving knowledge of God is through a saving knowledge of Christ. We have to accept Him as our Savior. We have to repent of the lifestyle that's driven that wedge between us and God. We have to accept His Lordship and His guidance. And turn our lives over to him. That's what the Ethiopian did. I believe that Jesus is the son of God. That's what needs to happen. Don't put your faith in your possessions or in recognition or in relationships. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. The one who died for us on the cross. The one who shed blood cleanses us from all our sins. That's where it's at. And that's the message that Philip got through to the Ethiopian. The final principle, the final C in that line is caring. Caring. You know, baptism is not the end of the process. Baptism is really the beginning. Because we baptize people here at Cyprus Church. And true, it's a a symbol of the new relationship between the individual and God. Individual and Christ. Right? Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, to walk in newness of life. That's what it's about. But it's also about a spiritual adoption into our family. These people are now part of of our family. And our availability to help them in those times when they struggle, in those times when they don't understand what's going on, we as a family wrap our arms around them and help them and pray with them and guide them through the difficulties. On the assumption, by the way, that at some point in time, they may do the same thing for us. Right? But when I say that that baptism is the beginning of the process, really, Part of what we do, folks, is disciple. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take men and women who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, been baptized, spiritually adopted into our family, and take that time to mentor them and help them grow into everything that Christ wants them to be. I had the great fortune here over the course of the last few months to take a course called Experience the Life, which is led by Paul Mascarella. And I strongly, strongly encourage you to take this course. But in it, as I, as I talked with Paul and as I talked with other men that were in my group, I gradually realigned my priorities. You see, I'm in sales. And, and I always thought that, that my job was to sell more software. That's my job. That's what I do. But as I talked with these wonderful men of God, my priorities changed to where I understood that my job is to become more Christ-like, more in the image of my Savior. Everything else flows from that. That's my job, right? It's wonderful. That total realignment of my priorities, that's what I've learned. Another wonderful example of caring and discipleship. Uh, I'm going to embarrass this guy, and I love embarrassing him. Rod Ayers. Rod did several things around this church, wonderful things. But at some point in time, remember how I talked about commitment and availability and communication? God spoke to Rod Rod and told Rod, you are now going to start discipling men. And Rod has come up to me a few times in the past and said, man, who's this guy? Who's that guy? Who's this guy? I want to go talk to him about discipleship. And I know that Rod has discipled people because I've met him in restaurants where he's heads down with people going through Scripture and looking at Scripture. That's what I'm talking about, right? Not to to embarrass him or hold him up because there are other people that do wonderful things in this church as well. But But Rod is listening to God and meeting people on the desert road, meeting people at their chariot and helping them understand Scripture and how it applies to their life. Finishing up now. Verse number 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way rejoicing. Remember back in verse number 8 when they talked about Samaria? And there was great rejoicing in that region. You remember that? The key word here is rejoicing. When people are touched by the power of God through available individuals and they see how God can alleviate their pain and walk them through the valley and help them in their darkest moments or share wonderful times with them, they naturally rejoice. And that's my question to you today. God's unique call starts out with availability. Availability allows God to talk to us, empowers us to talk to other people, and results in rejoicing. Philip was not a supernatural individual. He wasn't. But he took principles and he applied them to his ordinary life which allowed him to achieve extraordinary results. Don't sell yourself short. Listen to God. He'll not guide you wrong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, thank you again for these wonderful people that I love so much. People that uh, inspire me and guide me, invigorate me. And Lord, I thank you for the example that they provide to me about what it means to be followers of Christ. And Father, I pray that uh, you would be glorified in our lives as we walk into Monday, Father, that our commitment would be strong, unshakable. And Lord, that this would result in availability. Father, that you would be able to use us as you see fit, mold us and guide us as you desire. And Father, that you'd increase our awareness to those that are so desperately in need to hear from you all around us. And Father, you'd give us the opportunity to act on that awareness. Father, talk with us, communicate with us, that we might communicate with others. And Lord, finally, allow us to be caring and loving that discipleship would result in rejoicing. All praise, all honor, all glory to you for it's in your son's mighty and precious name. I ask these things. Amen.